The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. And for a reading from God's word from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Avery, it's one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. There's so much here for us as followers of Jesus to learn and to apply to our lives, and I'm going to pray that, that we'll do just that. Let's pray together. Father, you are the teacher. Come now and teach us. And we know that when you teach, that involves correction, instruction, rebuking, training. Would you do all of that this morning for all of us? Would you allow us to be comforted, to be adjusted in our lives where we are not in line with a life of faith, perhaps even to discover faith and you hunting us for the first time. Father, we thank you for your word that Luke took the time to carefully record all that he had seen and heard so that we here may hear you speak. And we pray this in your name. Amen. 
Well, we're going to jump right in. Normally, I'll give an illustration of some sort to try to connect you to the text. But I think the story in and of itself is the illustration. It's an amazing story. It's a story that where you're going to find demonstrations of saving faith before Jesus. And first, I want us to see this morning as I retell you the story that we demonstrate saving faith by desperately approaching Jesus, desperately approaching him with trust in his compassion and his power. You immediately see two desperate approaches in verses 40 through 44. You see first the an important man's humble plea, and then you see an alienated woman's desperate reach. Two expressions of a a desperate approach to Jesus, which is that the essence of saving faith. In verse 40, you read that when now, when Jesus returned, the crowds welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. The, The crowd swarmed the moment he got off the boat. It had been a wild ride across the sea in a storm to land and see the demoniac set free and cleansed, pigs drowning in the sea, and now they're back on the other side from a raging sea to see a tormented soul calm. They land ashore in Capernaum. Capernaum, if you remember, was the place where Jesus had told the paralytic to take up his mat and walk and had said, your sins are forgiven. So perhaps news had been spreading throughout the region of Jesus, this mighty one. And so the crowds await him landing on shore. Surely you must think about the disciples as well. Their heads must be spinning all they've been through and they land on shore and it's more crowds. And you suddenly are introduced in verse 41 to a man. And there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. Jairus is an important man. He's a synagogue ruler, meaning that he was elected. He had favor among the people. He spent time supervising worship. He spent time running the weekly school. He spent time maintaining the building. He, if you were a synagogue leader, you were a respected religious leader in the community. He had some measure of standing and influence, and yet here he does not stand tall. He falls. He falls in verse 41. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Do you see him falling at Jesus' feet? One daughter, only one, 12 years of age which in that culture would have meant the coming of age. Normally marriage happened, as we've learned from the story of Mary, at ages 13 and 14. And one daughter, age 12, about to launch her into the world, and she's, she's dying. This man of influence, Jairus, had no influence over the condition of his daughter. He was desperate. He couldn't control the circumstances. 
And Jesus sees him and hears him say, come to my house and rescue my beloved girl. And so then they arise in verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. They arise and begin to go to the home, a large crowd pressing around him in anticipation of what this man Jesus will do next. It was a sizable caravan. Maybe even moving at a quick pace for the people among Jesus thought she's dying, she's dying. And yet, then you meet an alienated woman who has a desperate reach. Remember, saving faith is demonstrated by a desperate approach to Jesus. Here's a woman very different than Jairus. She has no influence. She's an alienated outcast. And we meet her here. In verse 43, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. You meet her hopeless. She's nameless. She's unclean according to the law. She has been hemorrhaging for as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. She has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Years And even worse, she is bankrupt and bleeding, and it is getting worse, not better. She's gone everywhere. She's tried everything. She is unclean. People would not get near her, for they would be rendered contaminated. And so she has 12 years of sorrow and disappointment in isolation. Do you see these two contrasts? Jairus, an important man with a humble plea, and... This lady, an alienated woman with a desperate reach, and yet in verse 44 you read, and she came up behind him. You know, somehow she had heard about Jesus, perhaps. She overheard someone talking on the streets about this man has power over sickness, and in what is almost painted like a sneak attack, fueled by superstition, as it were, she discreetly draws near to Jesus, and and it says she came up behind him and touched the the fringe of his garment, which would have been likely the tassel, and sort of touched and, and fled. Touched and went as to be not seen. Maybe, maybe she was afraid of holding Jesus up, knowing he's on important business, there's a girl dying. Maybe she thought, if I touch him, I'll contaminate him. Then the trip will have to go to the temple, go through the sacrifices for cleanliness, and they'll really be delayed. I don't know what she was thinking. Maybe she didn't want to be seen in public. It's like a sneak attack. She, she touches him. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Can you imagine that? Stunning power. A desperate reach. And Jesus' compassionate power meets her and she's well. What do we learn in this opening sense of demonstrating saving faith by desperately approaching Jesus? We learn this, Jairus and the bleeding woman could not be more different. And yet their commonality is their neediness. That is the commonality of every single person in this room often masked by success, masked by influence, masked by circumstances, but deep down, our commonality is our neediness, our desperation for Jesus. 
They both come bending. They both come bowing. They both come begging. And that is the nature of saving faith. The needy powerful and the needy powerless. The commonality is need. And I want you to notice, those Jesus stoops toward and stops for are not the arrogant in need of nothing because in and of themselves they think they have everything. It is those who are at the end of themselves without power, without control to find their way to hope. He, he stoops for those who quit masking their pain and their desperation. He stoops for those who approach in need and trust. I'd like to ask if we recognize this morning that we're all like Jairus and we're all like the bleeding woman and we're all like the dying girl. Paul Tripp says this, denying your need will never take away your need. They don't do it here. Often we are like Jairus, able to influence a lot of things in our lives. Maybe we have gifts, skills, abilities. We're like Jairus, but then circumstances will come into your life and they'll force you to face your limits. And they'll force you to confront your helplessness. And, and though able to influence all sorts of things, you suddenly realize as your circumstances change that you are far more limited than you ever imagined, that you are far more desperate than you ever dreamed. And and you can't ultimately influence your most dire circumstances and meet your greatest need. And that's the time you fall on your face before Jesus. Are we like Jairus? Are we like the bleeding woman? Understanding that apart from Jesus' work in our lives, we are without hope, we are without love, we are without healing, we are without renewal, we are without life and community and peace. And does that realization cause you to desperately get near him? Because you know, I have to have him. And we're all like the dying girl, dead. Ephesians says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. You need Jesus to come make you alive. So I ask us these two questions in light of this. Are we, are you, enjoying Jesus' compassion and power as it meets your helplessness and need. But second, are we embodying Jesus' compassionate stoop to those God puts in our paths? Are we stopping and stooping for the helpless and the needy because we realize we have much in common with them? Continue in the story. The story continues with the demonstration of saving faith as we, saving faith faithfully responds to Jesus' call to be seen as restored. And so in verse 45, Jesus says, who was it that touched me? When all denied, Peter spoke, of course, of course. Nobody else wants to talk. Jesus says, who touched me? And suddenly the woman must be thinking, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought to slip away. Jesus stops. Now, don't, don't get lost in this. So does Jairus. 
Jairus is the father of a girl who's dying. His heart must be racing with any stop of the caravan. We don't stop. It's urgent. Go. And yet something significant had happened. Jesus realized power had come out of him for he's the God man. He realizes this power is within him. Someone had touched him. He looks around the crowd and says, who touched me? The disciples must have been in their humanity panicking too. Jesus, we have business. Go, go, go. You got a great opportunity to do something great. And Peter, you know, in that moment is, is, what do you mean who touched you? You're in a crowd. People are bumping up against us everywhere. That's not exactly what he said, but I bet it was a lot like that. He said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Hello, Jesus. Everybody's bumping into us. We have business. There's a 12-year-old girl on her last straw. And then Jesus continues in verse 46. Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. The king, understanding someone has received his touch, his compassion draws him to stop and stoop. He doesn't want them to just have an experience of his power. He wants that person to have him. So he stops. He doesn't want us just to benefit from the stuff he can do for us. He wants us to have him. So he stops. Then you continue to read in verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden... Can you imagine that? Jesus is, I'm not, I can't hide from him. He's like, he sees me. So what, do, what do you do there? She, in that moment, her hope of a discreet touch and healing has now been stopped by the powerful king. And in many ways, this would have been her worst nightmare because being found out, going public, that was not what she wanted to do. Maybe she wonders even, did I do something wrong? Did did I mess up? Am I about to be condemned? Or people are going to think about me being among the crowd is unclean. Maybe the crowd will get mad because I contaminated everybody. Whatever the case, Luke says, she realized she couldn't be hidden and then she did what? She came trembling and falling. Is that not a picture of saving faith? trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately cleaned, immediately healed. Now understand this, for her to declare in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed was not something that just took a few seconds. I touched you because 12 years ago I developed this hemorrhage. She would have told him his story. Mark, Mark gives that sense even more in his account. This was, this was Jesus stopping and stooping for an, a woman no one wanted, no one wanted to touch, and saying, tell me your story. What's wrong? What's it been like? What happened when you touched me? It stopped. Such tenderness there in the midst of such power as Jesus stops and then Jesus says this. And and don't forget, while Jesus is doing this with this woman, 
Jairus and the disciples are probably doing this. Come on, come on. Wrap it up. Good part, good part of the story. Let's go. Shorten it. It's like you hear somebody give a long testimony, you know. Please don't start at the hospital where you were born. You know if they start there, we're going to be there for hours. And, and yet this girl's dying. And so he says, daughter. It's the only time Jesus calls a woman daughter. I don't think it's lost on Jairus either, whose daughter is dying that Jesus says, this is my daughter. You know how you care for yours? I care for mine. This is my daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The language spoken to her is personal. It's familial. The law had made her state helpless but she had touched the clean and her life was reversed. Now, connect this to us. We demonstrate saving faith by faithfully responding to Jesus' call to be seen as restored. You see, in faithfully responding to his beckoning, she enjoys full restoration. Jesus wants more for her than just physical healing or freedom from suffering, or a change in circumstances, and he wants that for us. He wants far more for us than that. He doesn't want her to be left with a sense of private superstition and change circumstances without personal relationship with him. That would leave Jesus as used rather than adored. Jesus is not to be used. He's to be worshiped and known as Savior, as Father, as, as lover, as caretaker. But further, he cares about her restoration from isolation to community. He wanted to publicly declare her clean so that people would no longer stay away from her. He gave her the gift of community. He gave her the gift of himself. And so he stops and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Please hear this. Jesus intends for our lives to be a full public display of his thorough restoring work in us and for us for now and in eternity. That's his desire for us to be public displays of ongoing and full restoration one day. Now the story continues. We demonstrate saving faith by humbly trusting Jesus' timing and power. The crisis is fully presented in verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter's dead. I know, I know you hear that, and the very next thing you hear is Jesus speak in 50, but let's be human about this. I got one daughter. You come to me with that message, I'm not just standing there like, hmm. Jairus likely would have fallen apart. Just broken right there. Maybe even with anger, I knew it. We stopped for the untouchable. And you cost this one who's been faithful in the synagogue. I don't know. 
But I know at the death of a child, the emotion would have been raw at the hearing of this. Your only daughter is dead. And then they give this counsel. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Don't bother. You know, tragic circumstances can make us all say that to Jesus. Don't bother. Don't bother. (laughs) He didn't show up. It happened in John 11. The women say, if you had been here, your only daughter's dead. And then, I don't know how much time elapses between 49 and 50. I just don't. But I don't think Jesus is being insensitive here and saying, stop crying. I think he's being tender. And he says, do not fear. Only believe. She will be well. Do not fear. C.S. Lewis in A Grief Observed said he was so surprised that grief felt like fear. Grief felt like terror. And he just, don't fear. Only believe. She will be well. Jairus at that point is called to humbly trust in Jesus' timing and his power and his word and, and they proceed. In verse 51, when, they, when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. They finally get to the house. As they arrive in verse 52, all were weeping and mourning for her. In other words, the noise would have been unbearable as they come into the house. They would have hired professional mourners so that the sound of the close family members crying would have been muted to protect their dignity. The noise would have been loud. The flutes would have been playing. Some would have maybe been beating their breast in lament. The louder the mourning, the more respectful to the dead. That was the way the culture worked. And so Jesus enters into this commotion and this noise where death is present. And he says these really amazing words. Do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. Now, immediately somebody showing up with that kind of you to show up at a funeral to show up where there's death and to come in to say that is sort of like okay that was very insensitive I mean even see it here their their response verse 53 they laughed at him knowing she was dead they that's not haha that was funny that's mocking laughter that's a cruel joke that you would come in here and say that she's dead Jesus didn't say it because he didn't agree that she was dead. Jesus said it because to Jesus, death is but sleep because he has all the power. And so they hear that and they walk into the house. And and then you see in verse 54, but taking her by the hand, so tender he called and saying, child, arise. Arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once. And he had directed that something should be given her to eat. (laughs) You imagine that? 
Mom and dad, Peter, James, and John. Hmm. Anybody got something to eat? (laughs) Like, that's a really interesting thing. We never explained on having to feed this girl. She's dead. Now she's alive. She's hungry. She's alive. Why? Because of the tender touch of the powerful, compassionate king. And her parents stand there, the text says, amazed. And yet, listen, different than the demoniac in the garrison region, who he said, go and tell. Here he says, quiet. Why? He's back in Jewish territory. He, he has a mission, doesn't want their public testimony to compromise or threaten that. So he has different missiological purposes at different places and times. And the connection for us as we, we begin to wind the story down is this. We demonstrate saving faith by humbly trusting in his timing and in his power. This is a really wonderful truth from this text. What we see as God's delays are his wise design. What you know when God seemingly doesn't show up or says not now. What we know as his delays, we know as his wise design. It's been said, if we had all of God's power, we would change everything. But if we had all of God's wisdom, we wouldn't change a thing. But we don't. So we have to yield and trust in his timing and in his power. For Jairus, surely he battled some sort of anger for the rulers from the house. Surely they battled cynicism and said, don't bother. And I think of those questions they would ask the disciples in the boat when he's sleeping in the storm. They say, don't you care here don't bother. John 11, if you had been here, those are the questions of a lamenting heart. Ask them, say them to your God. Don't you care? Don't, bo- don't, you, don't bother with me if you had been there, but stick around for the answers. Stick around for the presence. Stick around and trust, but don't deny those sentiments when he delays. You see, to us, they may seem like God's delays may seem inexcusable or unreasonable, but listen, he can stop because he can reverse anything. What's it going to get worse? What is it to Jesus that she's sick and dead? He's got all the power. He's free to stop. He's free to delay because he has all the power and the compassion. And so hear this, there's no circumstance. And there's no situation beyond Jesus' power to redeem and reverse. Nothing. You can rest in that. And you can rest in his delays when he hasn't done it because he has all the power and he has all the wisdom. I love what Keller says as he writes about this story. Tim Keller says, death is as harmless to those who believe in him as sleep. Isn't that beautiful? Death is as harmless as sleep to those who believe in him. This is the king who reigns with all power. Jesus can handle a sick woman just as easily as a dead girl. This is our king, compassionate, powerful, wise, tender, 
to those who desperately approach him. Let's pray. It's amazing to see you, Jesus, in this text. Help us not believe that denying our need will make our need go away. Help us come desperate. And Lord, I know your delays, they're hard. And I pray that this text would give us trust of your wisdom and your power and your compassion and your gentleness, even your, that you're real. Thank you that death for you and for the believer is but sleep. And we pray this in your name. Amen.